Welcome to SLP Full Disclosure, the podcast for SLPs by SLPs, where we deep dive into a variety of topics to empower, educate, and entertain. Join us each episode to hear from expert guests and topics that matter most. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and let's jump into this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I'm one of your hosts, Jennifer Martin, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alyssa Hunter. Hello. We are so excited to talk about something today that Jennifer and I both use in our everyday therapy life, and that is including and engaging the senses in our therapy plans and activities, especially this time of year around the new year when kids have been off for a few weeks for break and they come back. We know not only is it hard for the adults to get back into the groove of things, but it can also be hard for kids to get re-motivated in therapy. And so we've found over the years that really making things as fun as possible through engaging the senses can be a great way not only to make your therapy fun and motivating, but also to reach your goals. So today we're just going to be talking about a few of the different senses that you can engage. We're going to talk about sight, hearing, touch, and also some kinesthetic movement. Um, And we're just going to talk about a few of our favorite things. We kind of sound like Oprah, right? A few of our favorite things. These are a few of our favorite things. (laughs) As we get into 2020. Yes, they, they cost less than Oprah's favorite, but still very uh, functional. (laughs) And I just, one of the reasons that I really like thinking about engaging all the senses, I feel like most people, we learn best when we have more than one of our senses engaged. I mean, I know even as an adult to this day, I like to hear and see things at the same time. So I think that's something to keep in mind as you're listening to this is, you know, this truly is, you know, more ways that we can get the information in, the better. And so that's, another reason that we really love this topic. And so one of the ones we're going to start with first is sight. And, you know, when I I work primarily with um, infants and babies and toddlers, and this one is so important because, you know, this is what is usually going to be like what gets their attention, what's going to, you know, draw them in so that then we can start targeting, you know, our goals and other things we're working on. And so when I'm working with a baby, for example, I will almost always start with this. Um, How, you know, are they making eye contact with me? Are they um, engaged and interacting? Are they tracking? And so the ways that I like, the the tools that I like to use for this, um, the first one is... um, something we all have is our face. And so when I'm working with caregivers and parents, that's the first thing I say is that will be the, the, the item that, or the thing that is going to be most interesting to your baby is your face. And so, you know, teaching them about, you know, that eight inches apart is going to be ideal for vision and just helping them to, you know, be still, let the baby take time to focus because they don't have perfect vision and to really just look at that face because that's what we now know through a lot of research is how they learn to interact. And not only that, but they have found that babies, you know, when they're starting to learn to make sounds, they're they're learning by watching 
our mouths and watching how our mouths move. And, you know, they've other just really incredible studies about if you are looking at a baby and don't smile, you know, it's very upsetting to them. So your face is an incredible tool to engage that baby or young child and, um, and, start that interaction, which then leads to communication. Um, another thing I really like to use um, are mirrors. Um, I've, I've learned to get the plastic ones. Do not get glass mirrors because that does not always end well. Um, safety first. Yeah, safety first, <laughs> yes. Um, but mirrors are great just, again, because, you know, the face is, you know, they can look at their caregiver's face, their sibling's face. Um, but for mirrors, it's fascinating because um, they're looking at the face of another baby. And so they really do um, engage differently with that. And so I like them in the beginning before they realize that is them. And I like that after, because it's a great way to work on body parts. And so that's one of the things we'll do is if I don't have a mirror and I'm working with one of these little guys in their home is we'll go to the bathroom and it's like, okay, let's wear your eyes. I see your eyes. Where's your nose? And so a mirror is just, you know, I mean, you know, they just, they love to look at themselves. So that's always engaging. And the last thing I really like to use is just those, you know, they've, you can find them in most every dollar bin everywhere. And it's just those light up toys that don't make sound. It's just the light. And I use those all the time just to see, you know, if a baby's tracking with their eyes, vid- visually tracking. Um, I also want to make sure there's no torticollis and that they can move their head equally to both sides. And that's very telling because those are extremely motivating. And so if they're not able to follow that or track that or are not doing it, then that tells me, okay, something's going on because um, everybody loves those. So those are my kind of top three for, for sight. Wow. Well, you always carry your face with you. And typically a home has a mirror somewhere and those light up toys. I mean, we all somehow have one stashed somewhere. They're always around. (laughs) You just got to make sure you have extra batteries. That's what I've learned because Ah. when you get that thing out and it's like, oh no, it's not right at the middle. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you know, working with a little bit of an older pediatric population, more school age, I also have found that engaging sight, especially for students with autism or in kind of the early childhood range is really effective. Um, You know, those cause and effect toys that also have those light ups can be fantastic when you have that child that is hard to motivate with anything. You know, there's like the Elmo one, two, three toys where you push a button and something pops up and a light comes on or things like that. But that cause and effect can be really motivating for children with autism and allow for more joint attention and following directions. So that can be really easy. I find that the best cause and effect toys that I find for cheapest are at thrift stores typically. (laughs) Just It doesn't necessarily need to be one thing in specific, but just searching around for something where you can push buttons, there's lights or sounds. Um, And then for older kids, I mean, there's so many different things that you can do that are motivating with sight, whether it be, you know, making a pacing board that visually has their favorite character on it. I know I have many with dragon tails or Minecraft on them, but, um, Something kind of more unique that you can do that I found to be very visually um, motivating for kiddos is making a lava lamp or doing some type of art project that includes a 
visual sense. And so when you're doing an art project, like making a lava lamp, you can be hitting on things like following directions, body with a group, taking turns. You can, in the future, make it a visually visual sensory tool. And it's something that you don't need a lot of ingredients for. And so finding these fun type of art projects, great places to look are Pinterest, even just a simple Google search. But um, doing hands-on visual stuff can really engage many of the senses and be used for future sessions as well. Yeah. And one of the things I think I love about your idea about making those projects is then those are things that they can take home if you make it at school or they can use it within their class. And those um, are so important for carryover. So I love that idea. Yeah, absolutely. And having that ownership too Mm -hmm. of creating something. Um, I could talk forever about different visual things that you can make, but there are many other senses. So, you know, working, Jennifer, working with the younger population, what types of ways do you engage auditory input hearing? Yeah. So, and I also, I mean, just as we kind of segue from sight to hearing, another really great cause and effect that is really effective for both of those areas is, and that's very cheap and easy to make is I even just like to get a metal coffee can and even having blocks where you, you know, you do something and, you know, whether it's counting or just, you know, ready, set, go, and then throwing those blocks in the can Mm -hmm. because it's fun to watch it, but it also is fun to hear it. So I think that's a great cause and effect that kind of covers both of those areas. Absolutely. But when I'm looking to, again, when I'm, and I'm addressing more of a younger population, is I love to start with environmental sounds. So, you know, animal sounds, vehicle sounds, it's so much easier and fun for them to learn to imitate those sounds, you know, so meow instead of cat and, you know, instead of car. And so what I like to tell parents is that, you know, it's, they're so much easier and again, fun for little guys to imitate. And then once they're doing it consistently, if, you know, you point out and say, oh, look, and they know the kid or they're, you know, playing with a car and making car sounds. Once they have that sound consistently is when you can say, yes, car says or whatever animal it is. Um, And so for that, I love to use not only, you know, your mouth is uh, brilliant for that, but also, (laughs) yeah, I always have that. Always have your face, always have your mouth. Yes. I mean, I'm trying to save us all money, people. We're on a budget here. Um, So aside from, you know, being able to produce these sounds with your mouth and have the child imitate, and like I said, you know, earlier with that sight, you know, that's how they learn. And so you're, you know, while they're looking at you, you know, you are going to, you know, make some of those sounds, you know, meow, um, you know, woof, woof, those, I don't have to tell you all how to make animal sounds, but you know, those are some really, (laughs) (laughs) I've met that goal. So, um, but I love to use just those board books that have the buttons and I, you know, that have the real photos. they're not cartoons, but they're real photos. And they literally have one animal per page. And they're so common now. And you can find them at most every store. And I like the ones where it's, you know, maybe a picture of a dog and a button you can push. And then it does the woofing sound. And the same with the cat. And, you know, so they have animals, they have vehicles. Those are so motivating. And I like them because they're not super busy. You know, again, um, you know, all of our sensor senses are, you know, related. You, you know, we don't, they don't work on an island. They're all, you know, one moves into the other, moves into the other. So when you're looking at that, you can see one picture and then hear one sound. It's so much easier to retain that. And it's kind of, you know, 
like a active flashcard. So I love those um, those board books. Yeah, that also sounds really great for carryovers. An easy, easy thing you can give to a caregiver during the week. Hey, practice this, and then you get so many more trials and during the week. That's awesome. Um, I also know that you've advised in the past when you're reading these books, you know, really using those melodic tones for imitation and having having those different tones of voice so that the child is focused in and can imitate a little easier. Absolutely. I think it just helps so much if you add a little bit of just that intonation and that imitating with that. It just, you know, again, they're kids. And so you have to remember that, you know, you have to make it fun. That's how they learn is that's the work of a child is play. And so, you know, coming in sometimes and, you know, hello, instead of just hello, um, it's just even adding that is makes all the difference. Yes. And kind of bridging from that, um, I love, love, love using music in my therapy. I did grow up with a mother who was an early childhood music teacher. Hi, mom. Um, So I grew up with a lot of music and it's amazing how much language you can really get from children with music. And so I use it not only as a way to increase language and vocabulary, but also it has been a great way for me to establish routines with students who maybe have a little bit of a harder time entering a therapy space. And so using hello songs to kind of give them the that two minutes of transition and to feel like they have that consistency or goodbye songs for students who have difficulty transitioning out. But that has been a huge part of my therapy. Um, and you can really easily search on YouTube, just hello and goodbye songs. Um, I also have found a ton of success using music as a motivator for students who you have a really hard time finding a motivator for. So maybe they have low joint attention, maybe they're minimally verbal, and finding music that they like, using vocabulary like go stop more or making it louder or softer, also being able to not to get ahead of ourselves with the kinesthetics, but getting a little dancing in there. Um, It can be a really great way to lighten the mood for therapy, but also um, have it be a great way to establish routine and motivators. Yeah. And I find that, you know, I am seeing so many more um, of the kids that I was working with and the little guys that were receiving music therapy as a weekly service. And the parents would just rave about it because again, it's, it's very motivating. It's fun. And, you know, they would bring instruments in. And so, I mean, I have not worked with a family that was also receiving music therapy that didn't rave about it and find that, you know, it, it, was really beneficial. And, you know, I also, along with that, you know, again, we're going to touch on the kinesthetic, but that using the hand movements along with the music is so valuable. And so, you know, I'd have these little guys that are like, you know, 18 months and they're doing the, you know, movements for Itsy Bitsy Spider um, and Patty Cake and things. And so I think those, again, we'll talk more about that, but just adding that, you know, language, music, movement is, again, the more ways that you can, the more senses you can engage, the more likely they're going to, that information's going to get in and they're going to retain that information. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 
you know, it's interesting. I didn't expect before we started this episode how much really these senses would overlap with each activity we're presenting. And it really is multimodal learning, which is so much fun. And again, like you said, (laughs) the more ways you can get the information in and receive it, the better. Um, So for our next our next sense is touch, tactile. And of course, we do have tactile feedback as cueing and things like that. Um, but let's start out by talking about some ways that you can engage touch um, with the younger population. Yeah. So, and again, my disclaimer for these is that definitely know your audience when you're presenting <laughs> some of these, because some of these may or may not be appropriate depending on the age and um, where we are developmentally. But for my um, little guys that are a little bit older, you know, about two and above, one of the things that I love and they love so much are I just do a bean bin. And so just put, you know, a whole bunch of dried beans in a bin and then put little plastic toys throughout. And so it's so fun because they get to use their hands and the beans have a little bit of more weight than, you know, maybe the rice. Um, And so they can dig, they can find the toys. I did one with a ton of little plastic dinosaurs and the kids loved it. Um, I did one with farm animals. And so it's really fun because they're using, you know, touch to find those animals. And then what we've done even before sometimes as well as taking turns, closing our eyes. And then, okay, when you find something, I want you to talk to me about it and describe what it is. And, you know, and that's again, where they, like we said, these all overlap, you know, those environmental sounds is where I'll, you know, put those in as well. So if we find, you know, a horse, like, okay, you know, let's, let's imitate that sound. So the bean bin is very, very popular. Kids love that. And I've even done some where I have a little shovel. So if they want to use a shovel or a spoon, um, if they do have some sensory sensitivities and don't want to physically touch the, the beans with their hands, then they can use a tool. And that's also just as effective. I really like the idea of using beans instead of rice. I have seen rice very often, but if that rice spills and there is carpet, wow, (laughs) that is a whole nother activity is cleaning it up. So beans are a little easier on that front. Yes. And I did have one of my bean bins, the lid came loose in my car. And let me tell you, that was also not fun to Are clean you up. still finding beans? <laughs> I, I had to sell the car, but I'm sure that I'm sure the new owner is still finding beans. So <laughs> you're welcome. Nice whoever. Road <laughs> <snack>. <laughs> Listen, you know, if you're ever stranded, you can, you can thank me later, but yes. Yeah, so that one is so fun. And you definitely do want to, um, other disclaimer, um, replace the beans, uh, you know, every so often because they, uh, they do get yucky. So I love that. Another one. And again, this is very much dependent on, you know, the age and our developmental level of these little guys. But for some that I, you know, that I, I'll use shaving cream. And so we'll just kind of put it on, um, a cookie sheet is a, is a favorite one of mine. Um, so either shaving cream or whipped cream, again, depending on uh, their developmental level. And it's so, I like it for a couple of different reasons. Um, I like to, because again, they're using their hands. Um, we can, we can write things in it. We can draw things and kind of do a little bit of a Pictionary. We can just, you know, talk about the adjectives and, you know, like, oh, wet, cold. Um, if it's whipped cream, then, you know, they can definitely have some. I've even done some where we'll do, you know, put shaving cream on 
little toys and animals, and then they can wash it off. So we'll have a water bin there. And so again, that's just great tactile play. And there's so, it really brings out that language. It's very motivating. Um, and I've done, you know, I do a lot of feeding therapy and for some of these guys too, even, you know, and we're not talking, we're not going to really touch on taste this time because it's its own topic. But one of the things I've even done is, you know, sometimes just even having this, the child touch something before they'll even consider, you know, tasting it. And so even just working on, you know, even if it's yogurt or pudding or something where they can, you know, paint with it and touch it, but there's no expectation of them having to eat it. But, you know, again, it, everything carries over. They're smelling it, touching it, but there's no expectation to taste it. Um, and so that's definitely one of my favorite things. And again, when the kid's a little bit older, I love doing shaving cream and doing letters. So if we're working on letters or sounds. Um, that's a great way to incorporate that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this activity can even carry over to more of a general education population. I remember as a kid doing this in the classroom with shaving cream, and I think that it can really span a lot of different ability levels, which is awesome. Um, And kind of speaking to the older population, a way that I've kind of transferred this type of activity to some older kiddos is using kind of like a mystery box or bag. I personally love the game Ned's Head. If anyone's ever seen that before, it's basically a huge kind of stuffed animal head that has holes on either end where their ears are and you can reach in and put in any objects you want. Of course, it comes with gross things like boogers and throw up, but um, I like to put it to kids. Oh, they think it's hilarious for me. I rather be, you know, describing some different things. So you could really put in anything, whether it be articulation cards for Arctic practice or, you know, different textured objects that they can be describing what they feel. You can be working on syntax, sentence building, adjectives. You can do so many different things with it, turn-taking. Um, and so it's a really great way to work on some of these more grammar-based goals um, without it being with a pen and paper. And so really getting that tactile um, feedback and that can also be really motivating for, for kids. Yeah. And I love Ned's head too, because I feel like it's an activity where if you have a student that you're working with alone, it's easy to do, but it's also a really fun group activity, um, small group activity for kids, because then, you know, they have to, you know, listen, they can, you know, one student can be describing it and the other person can be, you know, the other student can be listening and making guesses. So I think it's one of those, it's, it's yeah. great for single group. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially with sometimes these groups can get big these days and it's nice to have just a go-to in your cabinet, pull it out and you have a 15 minute activity right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. So I think we're going to move on to our final sense that we're going to talk about. Yes. Kinesthetic, one of my favorites and I think should be incorporated into almost every session when appropriate. Um, I'll let you kind of get the ball rolling, no pun intended, with these activities. <laughs> Is that a little too SLP corny? <laughs> I had to say it. I had to say it. Yes. Uh, and so I have learned so much throughout my career about this 
topic from working with PTs and OTs and co-treating, and they have been some of my best teachers with this. And so I encourage, if you ever have an opportunity to co-treat with a PT and OT, it I feel like I get so many more vocalizations and I've just learned a lot from them about how to incorporate this into every activity if possible. Um, and so one of the things that I love and um, have with me at all times is a therapy ball. And so again, this is for, you know, I think it's one of those things where you can do this with little guys. Like I've even with my 18 month olds up to even, you know, students that can, you know, <laughs> sit and hold themselves on the ball um, where I'll literally just take the, the, child and, you know, hold them securely in the waist and then even just kind of some bouncing on the ball. And again, I hate to just keep saying this, but they all bleed into each other. And so, you know, when we're sitting there on the ball, there's movement where we can incorporate songs, language. Um, I do a lot of, it's very motivating for some kids. And so, We'll be doing some movement and then I'll stop. And so they have to request or, you know, signal in some way that they would like me to continue. And so that is a very motivating activity. Um, and so I love the therapy balls, even if it's, you know, when, you know, if they're able to, we can roll it back and forth and they have to request with that. Um, and again, when the older students, I've even had some older students that I've had them if we're doing work at a table, they sit on that therapy ball because I find that even just even having that to sit on and, you know, move a little bit with that helps them focus more on whatever activity we're doing. Yes, that flexible seating is key for those older students. Um, I also feel like when I've used a therapy ball, it can reset a child when they're having a hard time during therapy and it can help kind of reset their sensory system so then they're ready to continue on for the rest of the session instead of losing yeah. maybe that last five, 10 minutes. Absolutely. It's so worth it. I mean, we used to, I think we, you know, you know better, you do better. And it used to be, you're going to sit there, you're going to listen, you're going to do this, but that's not how most of us learn. And so I think, you know, we have to meet people where they're at and and allowing them, if, if, if moving around a little bit and kind of fidgeting is, you know, going to help them be more focused, then, then absolutely we want to allow that. Um, and the other, you know, kinesthetic activity that I use a lot is just having, and again, it's, you know, what we have our hands. And so I will, you know, clap out, especially if I'm working with a, a child and we're doing one syllable words, we'll even clap out the one syllable word, but it's very beneficial when we're trying to work from one syllable to two syllable to three syllable. And I find that having them, you know, breaking those, those, parts down, the syllables down, and having them clap out each one is so effective. If I do with or without, I notice a huge difference just having them clap. And if some kids don't want to do that, even having them tap on the table is they just, because, you know, it's it's hard, but sometimes you don't realize that a word has, you know, two syllables. They're not thinking about that. So if you clap it out, they can almost, you know, feel it and hear it. And then it's easier to realize that it's, it's separate parts. So that is something I do all the time. And I feel like that's something I work with a lot of parents on as well, because it's something that they can easily do when we're not, when I'm not there, the kids will, t you know, it's typically very motivating for them. And then they feel like they're doing something to, you know, continue to that, have that carryover when we're not in therapy. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that is something that is so beneficial once they do reach that school age with phonological and phonemic awareness, being able to segment those words, hear those syllables. And so it's really one of those activities that can prepare them for literacy, which is, of course, you know, the big one. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I love doing all of those things. In addition, I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges that I had when I was working with early intervention and even some elementary age kids is when you have that student who just cannot sit still, they can't be at a table, they can't participate because they can't have a calm body at that moment. And um, one of the best pieces of advice that I've gotten from um, multiple OTs that I've treated with is make it fun, make it an obstacle course. And so I have done a lot with obstacle courses, a lot with scavenger hunts where part of the activity is moving around the room. And so you can set up an obstacle course with, you know, everyday objects like chairs and, you know, whatever really you have in the room. And, um, you can really base any of the goals that you need for both an obstacle course and a scavenger hunt. So for instance, for a scavenger hunt, you can be hiding articulation cards or things that they need to describe or WH questions. Maybe for an obstacle course, it's every time you get to this station, you need to do this. And so they're both really nice activities that you can do no matter what type of space you're in or what type of resources you have and apply it to a one-on-one session, a group session, um, and just allow those kids to be really successful for um, for people who just have trouble sitting still. Absolutely. And I think the movement breaks are so important. And again, once we know better, we do better that, you know, I know even for myself, if I'm sitting for too long trying to work on a project, I start to feel like I'm not being as productive. And so it's like, oh, I need to get up and move, come back. And it's like, okay, now I'm kind of reset and ready to go. And I, it's no different for kids. In fact, it's probably more important. And so you know, I've even just had those times where it's like, okay, today sitting and doing activity is not going to be an option at all whatsoever. So we are going to do something where, for example, I'm going to give you directions. You know, if we're working on one or two step directions, I'm going to give you directions and have you physically go do it. So um, go find the purple book and put it next to the table. Um, So they're actually physically, you know, moving and doing something, but we're still able to address those goals. And so I think that is something to always remember. If you're not getting the results you want, you know, something needs to change. And so I think sometimes even just having that period to move and get up and then return to the task, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, and using our bodies that we always have with us, Simon says, wow, (laughs) That is a great activity you could do anywhere, anytime with any size group with following directions, listening, sustained attention, joint attention. And one of the things I love is really allowing the child to take a turn to be the leader. So maybe they're the one who is telling the instructions to the group and it can get goofy, it can be fun, and um, they're learning along the way, which is really cool. Absolutely. It's best when you can trick them into learning. Like, this is You think this is a game and fun, but you're really learning. So Yes, exactly. Absolutely. That subliminal learning. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these are all great. And, you know, we obviously have taste, which Jennifer has talked about as a whole nother 
area to talk about and smell and these things go into feeding. Um, but we'll talk about those another time because that can go on for hours. Um, but, (laughs) and I would love, I mean, if you all have your own ideas for some of these, I mean, please do comment. Um, because I love learning from other therapists and, and I know that other people do as well. So please, if you have your own ideas, feel free to share those with us. Absolutely. And sadly today we have to sign off, but please comment, write in. We'd love to hear your ideas and address topics that you guys are thinking about in your therapy sessions. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. And if you'd like to get in touch with us at the podcast, send us an email at slpfulldisclosure at gowithadvanced.com. And each episode's show notes are available at the website, gowithadvanced.com backslash SLP full disclosure. And make sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen to get the latest updates. And if you want to give us a little shout out, make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread the word. Also, special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Advanced Travel Therapy. See you next time. Mm -hmm.